Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit robblack.com. Robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. If marriage is grand, then what is divorce? Ten grand, right? I'll be here all day. Oh, what did the little? Why did the little boy eat his cash? Because it was his dinner money. We all have approaches to money. Let's talk about them today. Finance. Let's get you to retirement. That's the goal of the show. It's a long term. It's a long haul. Start in your 20s and you'll get there in your 60s. Start in your 50s and you're going to work till the day you die. I'm Rob Black. Let's talk money. Yesterday, the market is continuing. Um, Let's see. How do I say this? First quarter was gorgeous in the United States. The returns were phenomenal. The NASDAQ was up 14%. The S&P 500 up 7%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, of which that's 30 stocks, of which I might own one or two, but I'm not all that impressed with 30 stock index. It's not my thing. NASDAQ represents growth. It, too, is a market-weighted index, which is problematic with the S&P 500. I don't think there's a beautiful index to compare yourself to. Um, If I were to compare myself to any indexes, it would be the Wilshire 5000. Because or the Russell 3000, I want to compare it to a non-weighted index. So it's not just two or three stocks that get your returns, but that's for another show, another day. Um, Let's talk about what we're seeing out there at this point in time. The Nasdaq had a three day losing streak extended. Uh, Again, first quarter was great. Then we start off April and it's cooking well at the end of March, start of April. We've kind of run out of steam. Ten-year Treasury sits at three point three percent. If I were a betting man, just on that number alone, I would say the market will be higher in the next six months. Now, again, that number can move to four percent based on news, and then I would say I bet the market's lower in six months. That's not quite how I want to say this, but that's a general approach that I start with, and then I'll find some flags along the way to change my opinion. What do we see out there, um, Kevin McCarthy? And I don't talk politics just to talk politics. I talk politics and how it affects uh, the stock market. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy sat down with Taiwan's president, uh, making him the most senior U.S. official to meet with the Taiwanese leader on U.S. soil. Tensions have run high between the United States and China over Taiwan, which China claims as its own since McCarthy's predecessor, Nancy Pelosi, took a trip there in August. China warned that if McCarthy took the meeting, it could provoke a severe confrontation. Things are not great between the United States and China, and I own shares of Apple. Apple does a lot of business in in China. I don't think China will bite off its nose despite its face, but there's some other companies that do business in China as well that could see sanctions, that could see problems. Uh, China wants to become the world leader, not the number two world leader. Keep in mind, when I was a younger man, China was a number five country that moved to number four, number three. Now they're number two. I remember a day when Germany was number two. Crazy, right? Oh, how times have changed. Uh, Rupert Murdoch. Um, so again, the whole China thing, I own no Chinese stocks. I don't like their form of capitalism because it's kind of pseudo-communism capitalism. That yes, they have TikTok and yes, they have Alibaba. They have some great success stories, but they also have stories where sometimes their, their, their business leaders disappear. No, thank you. I'm in the business not to lose money. 
and to play along with capitalism in America. And if I do that, I do well. If I lose money, I don't do well. What else do we have? Cookie Monster, Operation Cookie Monster. I loved Cookie Monster as a child. I grew up overseas and we didn't get a lot of television that was American or English. So Cookie Monster was something I related to. Cookies, right? Well, the FBI did a sting and they seized Genesis Market, a notorious online marketplace for stolen login credentials. 80 million credentials that could be used to access accounts had been sold through the site since it opened 2018 in a sweep targeting both site administrators and customers. Police arrested 119 people in Europe. And that was all called Operation Cookie Monster. Every six months, I change all my passwords. Sometimes it's every three months. Every year, I look at all my insurance documents the day after my birthday. I know you're saying you set weird holidays to do this. Yes. Yes, I do. Um, That's the only way I know how to do it. The burrito bowl. I know you've seen the puppy bowl. I know you've seen the Super Bowl, but now there's a burrito bowl. Chipotle is suing another company for the use of the word burrito bowl. Sweet Garden said it was named for the thoughtfully sourced Chipotle powder that provides the perfectly slightly spicy, smoky bite. And they're fighting with Chipotle on who owns the burrito bowl. Weird, right? Oh, and just in time for today's National Burrito Bowl. Sweet. Um, Chipotle is one of those interesting investments. It was actually owned by McDonald's. Did you know that? And it was spun off from McDonald's. And McDonald's would have been wise to hold on to it. But it didn't fit their corporate culture. This week, McDonald's is doing big corporate layoffs, and they did it the old-fashioned chicken way. They closed their office and sent emails to employees on the corporate side. No fry cooks got fired this week. No fry cooks were hurt in the story. But talking about Chipotle, it's it's interesting because it's got a, a pretty big following with younger people. For me, I'm not about going and standing in line, a cafeteria line. I'd rather sit down. Uh, at a table, get a cold, frosty one, and do a nice, slow hour lunch. I'm not standing in line with other people, but I will say, Chipotle, when I do go, I do get extra rice. Picking up what I'm putting down, they like me there. Um, I look at what 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds, I look where they're shopping, not people like me. Uh, the younger generations spend more money. Their, their discretion is 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 looser. So I'm much more interested in seeing where people are shopping. And if they're shopping, Peter Lynch once said, and this is me being a poor man's Peter Lynch. Peter Lynch is the greatest uh, mutual fund investor of all time, right? I interviewed him and he's the biggest, he was the biggest jerk on the planet. He was the toughest guy to work with. I've interviewed Bill Clinton. I've, I've interviewed many, many people. And let me just say the greatest mutual fund investor of all time, Fidelity Magellan, he just, he would answer questions in yes or no. I'm like, um, so you ran the Magellan and you were, have the best track record ever. Um, you know, what was your secret to success? And he's like, research. And you read his books and his secret to success was sometimes he'd like take his daughters who they loved going to different restaurants and malls. And he would see where they wanted to go, what stores they were going into. And that's why he bought things like the Gap and Limited. Um, so that's not lost on me. Chili's his kids love Chili's. 
Um, Chili's, there's not a lot of them. They're not as popular as they used to be. But he made a ton of money on that kind of stuff. So watch where younger people are shopping and you may get some business investment ideas. Harry Potter's coming to HBO, it looks like. They're doing a whole remake of all the Harry Potter movies into an HBO series. I'm not a Harry Potter guy. I can barely tell you anything about it. I could tell you in an interesting way. When the last book was released, I got on Cron TV and being a snarky Generation X sarcastic piece of poop that I am, I said, oh, Hermione dies. I didn't know who Hermione is. I didn't know that she died or lived and she didn't die. But in that 30 minutes, the publishers from Harry Potter contacted my bosses and said, we need a retraction right now. I'm like, whoa, don't mess with big business is the lesson that I learned. Oh, and I was very, very apologetic. So I think Peter Lynch is right on some things. It's the younger generation that you watch their spending. Because as we get older, we're a little bit tighter with our money because we're like, "Uh oh, time's running out. I need this to last till I'm 100. But when you're younger, you're not thinking nest egg. When you're younger, you're thinking you're impervious. You're, you're bulletproof. You're not. Let's talk about some of the other things that we're seeing out there. Tomorrow is a market holiday. Stock market's closed for Easter. And when I was younger, I would take chances and say snarky stuff. And uh, you know how AMC has got The Walking Dead, the zombie shows. When I was younger, I'd say things like, yeah, Jesus was the first zombie in literature. Didn't he die and come out from a crypt? And I'm like, I better not say that anymore. Cancel culture is too big, too hot. So it's a holiday that you should observe. It's a holiday you should take some time off for, um, Passover, whatever religion you are. Um, I do like that society has holidays where we get a little bit of a break to spend time with our families and our friends and our loved ones. Anyhow, what else do I have to hit on as far as big stories? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Don't want to work forever? Check out the retirement planning guide on robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. I went down a Taylor Swift rabbit hole last night. Oftentimes before I fall asleep, I watch a little bit of YouTube. And typically what I do, I watch the monologues from The Daily Show. I watch the monologues from Jimmy Kimmel. And then I typically crash. But I saw one where it was how Taylor Swift gets on and off stage. I was like, okay, let's take a look at what her stage show looks like. It looks pretty impressive is the answer in my head. But there's a lot of there's a lot of money going into that. There's a lot of controversy, too. Um, Ticketmaster, I think, is a great long-term investment until we figure out how to fix this controversy. They make an enormous amount of money on fees, and they basically have a monopoly on venues. And a monopoly, if you, in the board game, if you own most of the squares where people land on and they have to pay you, whether you're going to the Chase Center or the Warfield or wherever you're going, the Napa uh, county civic center. If tickets are all going through Ticketmaster, they're getting the, the fees, they're getting the service charges. And yeah, I do think at some point in time, Congress will step in and say, uh, you guys need to do better. And they're not going to put Ticketmaster out of business. They're just going to say, do better. And Ticketmaster will come back and say, I'm sorry, here's a here's, here's a little prize back. And it'll still be a monopoly. I don't own shares of Ticketmaster. I've dreamed of owning shares of Ticketmaster at times. And the pandemic came along and every venue was shut down. And I was like, nope. 
I should start thinking about it again because it's at maximum hate. As an investor, you can do well with maximum hate. When everyone hates it, I'm not saying that's the best time to buy, but it certainly could be an opportunity. And again, you decide for yourself. I'm not your portfolio manager in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I work with portfolio managers, and I, you know, spent twenty plus twenty three years as an investment advisor, portfolio manager. But that is a past life. So now I work with EP Wealth, who's got ten plus uh, CFA CFPs, combination of people with different degrees working in the investment policy and coming up with ideas. I still manage a lot of my own portfolio, but they manage a large part of mine as well. So let's pull up Ticketmaster. I'm kind of interested to see. Oh, it's Live Nation. I should mention that. Um, Live Nation kind of had the events. Ticketmaster had the ticketing. The two of them got together. And ever since then, it's just been hell on earth for people going to concerts. Okay, let's take a look. So... It's looking interesting to me. Just taking a look at the stock. It's gone from 112 a year ago down to $68 today. There is no dividend. So instantly I'm a little bit turned off. I like companies that share their profits. Short term, it looks like it's oversold. Midterm, it looks like it's oversold. Long term, it's got a pretty high valuation that it's going to have to earn. But taking a look at the chart and there's no problems looking at charts. I'm not a chartist in any way, shape or form. I don't play one of those guys who's like, well, if you look at the double T cross, what you're going to see is you, you, here's a point where well, you can make a lot of money in three days. I'm like, no, 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 no. I've never met a chartist worth a million dollars, to be honest with you. I've never met someone who could just look at a chart and buy, sell or hold. This stock got schwacked. It got schwacked in 2020 when we stopped going to concerts and it hit a low of $45. Now it's it's at 68, but it's high in last year was 120. That's actually going to be something I do research on because I already told you I started the segment with uh, I kind of have always wanted it. And looking at what people are paying for Taylor, little girls are paying three thousand, four thousand dollars for Taylor Swift concert. You know what's happening in, in the world of, of travel, in the world of leisure? The middle class and the lower class are getting priced out of good seats. And that stinks. As someone, and, and, you know, how my dad died. My dad died of cancer from smoking cigarettes. And that stinks. And now you're saying, how are you going to tie these two together? Sometimes you can, if you can't beat them, join them. Um, Philip Morris and Altria have massive dividends. Philip Morris is the tobacco company in the United States. Al, uh, I'm sorry, Altria is the tobacco company in the United States. It basically owns all the cigarettes in the gas station. All the brands are theirs. And then Philip Morris is domestic and Altria is the inter- no Altria is domestic because it sounds altruistic. It sounds beautiful. It sounds like, oh, puff on our, our hot tobacco and you'll relax and enjoy and look cool. It's altruistic. It's wonderful. Philip Morris is the brand overseas where you want to be an American. You, you smoke American cigarettes and you'll be American. Marble man. I'll take those. Um, I know you're saying, what accent was that? I don't know either. Trust me. Oh, and how does this all go back to Ticketmaster? Okay, so Philip Morris makes a product that causes cancer. Ticketmaster Live Nation sells really expensive tickets to venues. That I went to a concert January 15th in LA and got great seats. 
And I felt like every person around me was a multimillionaire, uh, not for lack of a better word, uh, loser, you know, like a trust fund baby. And maybe that's a sign I should stop going to shows, but I do like live music. And I don't like sitting in the third level, second level. When the musician says, how's everybody at the top? I'm like, not me, not me. How's everybody in the middle? Not me, not me. How's everyone in the front? That's me. So if you can't beat them, join them. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm taking a look at Live Nation. And yeah, I, I know they're getting a lot of heat from Congress right now. But sometimes that's the opportunity. Stocks aren't cheap for just being cheap. Stocks are cheap because there's a recession coming. Stocks are cheap because there's bad news. Stocks are cheap because they got bad management, bad product. Stocks aren't ever cheap because things are going great. Just work with me on that one. Let's see. I'll, let me pull up a little bit more on Live Nation. Turn this into the Live Nation segment that I didn't know was coming. And sometimes that happens. Ticker symbol is LVV. Let's see if I can do a little quick analysis on the fly. I have too many windows open. I am sorry. LYV. Silly me. Consult a broker for advisor taking action on any stocks ever mentioned on this show because I just thought the ticker symbol is one thing and I was wrong. Okay, I see one analyst says a neutral on it. Yesterday, Live Nation said that they and PayPal signed a multi-year deal to expand simple and secure payments to fans buying tickets worldwide. I don't see that as anything. That's probably more positive for PayPal than it is for Live Nation. Upgraded to buy over at North Coast, $85 target. Okay, I'll get the research on that. Read what he has to say. Um, the fourth quarter results beat on revenues recently. That's nice. So this is just cursory, ancillary, quick analysis. Hmm. President Biden has called on Congress to look into the company. He doesn't like junk fees. I don't think that's going to go anywhere. 30. They have, The company blamed bots on Taylor Swift ticket issues. Yeah, yeah, old story. The company has plenty of cash. They have some debt. Let's take a look at their debt at some point in time. Yeah, I'm seeing nothing terrible on this company, but that's just the start of research. You have to do a lot more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. April is Financial Literacy Month, a time of year that encourages everyone to take a little bit more time, learn some financial skills. EP Wealth, who I work with, Aaron Voisin, is here today to talk about um, budgeting. It's probably not the sexiest topic. It's not a tech stock. It's not how to make a million dollars. It's how to set the road to making your million dollars and your road to retirement. Um, Literacy Month is a good opportunity to practice some of this and to refresh ourselves on the ideas. Joining me today, Aaron Voisin. She's a CFP with many credentials. We won't go into those right now, but just say she's a certified financial planner. She's a managing director. She's um, quite impressive. For two and a half years, I've seen her at the water cooler at the company, and I, I'm thrilled to have you on Talk Budgeting. Aaron, why is a budget so dang hard for the average person to work with? And just, you know, I, I think it's like step one or step two. Why is it so hard for us to wrap our heads around it? I mean, I always like to say, you know, I think the old term used to be we live in like the YOLO world. And I think now it's FOMO where 
you know, people just are, they're tempted every which way they look, you know, you want to, especially going through a pandemic, you know, a lot of people now appreciate life a little more. So you're trying to balance living that life with also making sure that you're saving for the future. And a lot of people just struggle with finding that balance and figuring out sort of what the best process is, how to do it, what they should be budgeting for, I think is also a big question. A lot of people just assume it's fixed expenses and they don't really think long-term savings. So I think it's also just technology, you know, having so much at your fingertips makes it so much easier to spend versus save. And so trying to, you know, have some constraints, I think also makes it more challenging. I'm a little bit older than you. And I remember starting my first budget on the back of my checking account, um, my checking checkbook and just starting that way. And it wasn't very fun, but I met my first millionaire buddy in San Francisco 20 years ago, a guy named Aaron Patzer. He started a company called mint.com, which is money intelligence. Um, really a good guy. It's an app that I got into and it started my first real electronic, uh, app, uh, as a financial planner, you, you've got a serious accreditation. Are, are financial apps good enough for someone like you? And are there any that you recommend? Yeah, I think they are. I mean, I know for, you know, for our clients, you know, we use e-money as our planning tool. And with that comes the client portal, which allows them to have a budgeting tool, which we always talk with clients about. But if anyone ever asks me, like who's not a client, a friend, a family member, what should I use? Mm-hmm. Funny enough, mint.com is the first thing that comes out of my mouth because I actually think it's a great tool to get people doing budgeting with as hopefully little work as possible. You know, we always tell people it's a little upfront work as you set rules and get things aggregated. But once you spend that upfront time, it's sort of self-sustaining after that point. And then it becomes really helpful when you can see where your money is being spent. So I think apps are fantastic. I think the greater use of technology for budgeting has been so good for people because it makes it easier to see where you're not going into your bank account and putting it in Excel or writing it on the back of a checkbook. You know, it's just, it's there at your fingertips. It's on your phone, your iPad. So it's a little more accessible to people, which I think makes them more inclined to look at it and do it. I'm not a CFP, but I've worked with many in my career and one of the things that they always get freaked out about or weirded out about is, do you feel safe with online banking? Because Mint does pull in from your bank account, just read only. Do you feel good with the security of apps? Because there's still a hurdle for some people. There's still a hurdle. And I think security is always going to be an issue. But, you know, this is what banks focus on. I mean, cybersecurity is huge in the financial services industry. And to your point, they're read only. So it's not like someone's getting on and able to move money or see account numbers. They're really just seeing a balance. And so I always say like, you know, that's the first fail safe is, okay, so they see that you have a Bank of America account with 10,000. They can't do anything with it. So as long as people can get comfortable with that and get comfortable with the security, you know, two-factor authentication has become a big deal. It's actually what's made the aggregation apps, you know, probably tougher to do because of what the banks are doing. So I think it's really made the security that much better. Nice to hear. Now, what does a healthy budget look like to a CFP, Aaron? Um, I've never really grasped this. Is it 60% of your money goes to your expenses? How much does it go to fun? How much of it goes to your future? Do you have a a budget on what a healthy budget looks like at the end of the month? So a lot of people use the 50-20-30 rule where, you know, maybe it's 50% fixed expenses, 20% saving, 30% discretionary, and maybe the 20 and 30 flip depending on how you are. But I think the first thing to a healthy budget is self-awareness and really just being having a gut check about what am I spending money on? 
and not trying to like sugarcoat, you know, what dining out was or clothing is. It's really being realistic with what you spend money on. It was mentioned the sugarcoating back to mint. And you talked about putting good data in. Um, if you're running to the liquor store, that's not considered groceries. Exactly. So, just it's a little bit of a bit of humor that I have, but it's a little on the dark side. But you that's why you to. buy it at the grocery store. Then it really is in the grocery budget. You know, that's what. But in my worst head, I always knew that if I had to cut expenses, I always knew that my budget had some like restaurants or groceries or alcohol. There was always something to travel. Um, those categories, I always knew there was numbers there because I had to save for retirement first. What are some simple rules that you apply to clients and you apply to friends and family as far as healthy savings go, Aaron? First and foremost, it's pay yourself first. You know, just make sure that you're saving first and foremost and, you know, spending on the discretionary after. It's challenging and it's hard and it sounds way easier to do than in practicality. But when you get in the habit of allocating savings and then spending what's left, you're just going to start to be wired that way. And I always say, like, if you can set it up where you don't see it, you know, the great thing, again, about technology is, especially at employers, you can have your paycheck go to different bank accounts. So set up automation. Automation is key. If you can make it something that you don't actually have to do and it's done for you, you're going to be more likely to actually follow through with it because you don't know any different. It's interesting that you mentioned that because when I was 18, I was rear-ended in a car accident and instantly I was like, I got a $3,000 settlement. And I was like, how do I put this towards retirement? And I automated it through a bank account into a mutual fund, Robertson Stevens. And I fell in love with Dan Niles and I fell in love with tech investing. Um, and that kind of led me into this career just by automating my savings. I wanted mm -hmm. to learn more about it. And uh, Dan Niles, really sweet tech guy. Um, he's always been very, very kind to me. Um, how about the, you were talking about uh, pay yourself first. I talk with a lot of beginner investors. I have some advanced investors as well um, as part of the show, but the beginners, I'm always like, start your 401k with 3%. Just start when you're 20 years old and then 4%, then 5% add to it slowly. Um, is that different from a wealthy client versus a younger person who's in their twenties and thirties? It's going to be different because the amount you can save is going to look different. You know, what's sure. left over, but I would say the process and the thought is still the exact same. You know, no matter if you're 20 or if you're 50, it's paying yourself first. It's just that number is going to change based on how long you have until you're going to need those funds. So one final thought here, let's talk about debt because um, there's different types of debt. There's college debt, there's mortgage debt, there's credit card debt. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on debt during financial literacy month? Because debt's probably the opposite of savings for some people. I'm oversimplifying it, but as a certified financial planner with a great accreditation, lots of education and a lot of practice in this field, what does debt mean to you? You know, debt is an emotional topic for people. Some people love it. It's a way to leverage and go invest and do a lot more things. And for other people, they're on the other side of the spectrum where they're terrified. They want no debt. They want that number to be zero. And so I always think it's understanding the debt and having a healthy relationship with it. Because like you said, there's so many different types of debt. And mortgage debt is actually pretty powerful. It can provide a pretty good tax deduction for you. You know, student loan debt, maybe not. Um, it depends on, you know, sectors you're working in, if you're going to be allowed to forgive it. And then, you know, whether it's car loans, credit card debt, then it becomes an interest rate game. 
you know, what is the interest rate on it? And are you better off paying it down or saving? And that's really a matter of what are you keeping in cash? What are you keeping in investments? And then really making sure you're talking with someone like a CFP about a strategy to make sure that your debt is structured properly, optimized from an interest rate standpoint, and paid down appropriately based on those interest rates and where your money is parked. Give you a little color on what I see mortgage debt as. It has the word death in it, mort, M-O-R-T. And I grew up, again, a little bit older than you, I think. And um, I grew up in a world where there was that mortgage book where you got the uh, book of 30 years, 12 months, and your last ticket, you'd burn it and you'd be all happy and excited. I kind of like mortgage debt. It's more of a modern theory. It's it's low-cost debt, or it used to be until 2023, where mortgage debt was a little bit higher. Is there a number that you skew towards that you want to pay off all debt over 6%, service debt under 6%? Or is it a little bit more complicated than I'm making it? I think it can be more complicated because, again, I think it's really what the stock market is doing, what cash is paying at the time. I mean, again, right now with what the market has done over the last year, there's a lot of and where mortgage rates are at. There's a lot of people making the argument that paying down debt looks more attractive right now. The years preceding that, it was probably keep your debt and put it in the market because you're going to do better. So that's why I think it's really a moment in time decision that has to be looked at. Okay. Thanks very much. It's Erin Voisin. She is a CFP. She is the managing director at EP Wealth. I work with her at EP Wealth. I've been looking forward to this. I hope we can chat many more times past Financial Literacy Month. Thanks, Erin. Thanks. Good day. One of the things that I really want to do, and I thought she was fantastic, is because it's National Financial Literacy Month, a lot of financial planning firms are offering friends and family the ability to talk with a CFP. I want to do that with you because I honestly think my audience is my friends and my family. Um, at times you may not think so, but I don't have a big social life. So one of the things I'm going to do, I'm going to do a meet and greet coming up in about 25 days. I'm going to try to do three or four of these a year where if you come show up, uh, upload your portfolio, fill out a quick questionnaire, I'm going to give you a snapshot with a CFP. A CFP is going to do it, not me, of where you stand in your portfolio, in your, in your financial life. Um, Typically, you know, this is a paid service, but if we can do it as as firms and CFPs can do it, I think extending a, just a quick financial snapshot of where you are is very, very helpful. Look for that information coming soon. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblackshow.com. This interview featured on The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. Friday is a market holiday. Good Friday. But tomorrow we're going to get the jobs report. I'm not going to do a live show tomorrow, but I am going to do a YouTube show where if you go to YouTube, sign into your account, type in Rob Black Show, subscribe, and you can watch my Friday feature. I will talk about the job employment number. Today, there's a lingering since the market is due for consolidation. There's weakness in mega cap stocks. There's some treasury yields lifting off overnight lows in response to more weak data. Strength today is seen in defensive areas like utilities and healthcare. That's your market recap. There's not a lot going on today. It is a holiday shortened week. Wall Street tends to um, take advantage of that. Layoffs are up nearly five-fold. Listen to this crazy stuff. Oh, by the way, happy National Burrito Day to you. I don't know much Spanish, but I think burrito means something like small donkey because there's a burro in it. I don't know how exactly a burrito is a small donkey, but 
I'm just going with it. It's not an official holiday like Good Friday and Easter, but National Burrito Day is something to celebrate. Layoffs are up nearly five-fold this year with tech companies leading the way. Job cuts have soared to 270,000 so far in 2023. That's an increase of 396% year over year. Whoa! That's nuts. And that's actually good news because the highest cost of doing business is labor on Wall Street. That's good news. I know it's bad news for society. It's bad news for you. It's bad news for your cousin who... Was he get married this summer and now they're looking for a job? I get it. I get it. I get it. Bed Bath & Beyond proposes a reverse stock split as it struggles to avoid bankruptcy. Nope. I'm not going to do it. I don't go after weak companies that are using the word bankruptcy. Have some standards. New car loan interest rates are soaring. Listen to this. I haven't even thought about this until today. You know how the interest rates have moved higher with the Federal Reserve in the last year? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know how there's a shortage of vehicles on lots and there was a supply chain disruption. (laughs) Well, the APR, the annual percentage rate, is now 7% compared with 4.4% a year earlier. I can't even imagine. It feels like, oh, I remember those days back when I was a child. wasn't that long ago. The average monthly payment for a new vehicle hit $730 in the quarter. That's almost a mortgage payment. My first mortgage payment was like $815. Now, again, that was 25 years ago. $730 a month? Holy poops. 17% of car buyers who financed a new vehicle have agreed to a whopping monthly payment of $1,000 or more. The average down payment on a new vehicle is about $7,000. Up from $6,000 a year ago. I, a, a young man who's running on my show today, he asked me like, hey, I, gee, any tips for you know when I should start buying stuff? And I'm like, good God, let me think about that. So I started thinking about car loans. He was probably thinking mortgage loans. I'm thinking car loans. You got to see if up $7,000 put down on a car. I'm not a big fan of new cars, especially until you're 35 years old. Um, I actually think a beat up car is kind of sexy. When I was 20 years old and I was driving a Toyota Tercel that was gifted to me, someone gifted me a car that was already 10, 15 years old. And she said, I gift this to you as long as you drive it until it dies. So when I started my business, I would drive from Washington, D.C. to New York in a car that had no air conditioning in the middle of the summer, drenched in sweat. I had to change of clothes, pull into a parking garage. I'd go meet with some financial planners. I'd go meet with some uh, mutual fund people. And I would change my clothes in the garage. The garage people were like, you're poor. You have no air conditioning. And it's like, yep, but I have no car payment either. I didn't have a car payment till my early 30s. The average price for a new vehicle is 48763 bucks. That's up 5% year over year. That's crazy. 36% of auto loans are 72 months now. Let's do, I, I'm not really great at math. So I'm going to use my hand here. Uh, 24 months is two years. 48 months is four years. Uh, that would make 60 months, five years. Holy mackerel. People are taking out seven years on a new car. That's a big commitment. It's a big commitment. Remember how I talked about how losing your job may affect a wedding this spring? It's spring season and weddings are here. Okay, that's not a wedding song. Um, my first wedding was a destination wedding. My second wedding was an elopement. If I could do that all over again, I'd just do elopements. Destination wedding's nice, but I felt it was between me and my spouse and my my dog. 
Maisie the Wonder Dog was our, our ring bearer, Lake Tahoe. That's why Tahoe is special to me. Um, and it didn't cost a lot of money. The weather is warming up. The flowers are starting to bloom. The cover bands are getting booked. The DJ spinning and scratching the records. That's right. Wedding season is here. The national average of cost of a wedding is $30,000 plus. Now, again, $30,000. That includes those those weddings that happen in trailer parks. That includes the weddings that happen in like the flatlands of Kansas. The average American is paying $30,000 for a wedding. You are loco in the cocoa. 25% of Americans will go to a wedding in 2023. I hope I don't. Because the average wedding guest is going to spend $611 for the event. And yet, Generation Z, again, keep in mind, I said average. Generation Z, not the average. That's a below-age average. They'll spend $1,191, um, up to $1,200 for weddings this year. I've got a niece that is in her 20s, and she's been invited to eight weddings. And I told her, I said, you need to decline some of these. And she goes, which ones do you decline? They're all my best friends. I love them all. She actually, she actually has a hoarse voice. She goes, oh, which ones do I client? I, I can't go to a ball. Oh, which ones do I? They're all my best friends. I love them. I said, start with canceling any out-of-towners because that adds to your cost. 27% of Americans will attend a wedding in 2023. 60% of wedding attendees have at least one financial concern, i.e. you're a guest and you're financially concerned. 18% of Americans who attend a wedding this year will go into credit card debt. 30%. I say send your regrets gracefully. Consider declining all out-of-town ceremonies to start. Good etiquette says you send a gift. You don't have to send the best gift, but good etiquette says you send a gift. Um, I don't know. Am I a Grinch? You decide. Let's put it on Reddit. Is Rob a Grinch? <laughs> I don't. Don't do that. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. What's the best way to choose a financial advisor? Download our guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth.